Hello, podcast world. Welcome to Vicarious Living, a show about a couple Midwest dudes breaking down all the beauty that is teen drama TV. Vicarious Living, welcome back to the podcast, OBX, Season 2, Part 2, tonight on the pod, Wind and Pipes in the virtual podcast studio with the addition of one intern Whitney and HR representative of this entire podcast, Anna from HR. The four of us, Part 1, we did a recap of all of Season 1 get us started on the right page. And tonight we do the rest of season two, episodes two through 10, along with final season awards. Audio is going to sound a little differently on this one. Like I said, virtual pod experience, but the content as always will be just as dynamite. Last bit of housekeeping. Contact information by Caris Living Pod at gmail.com and by Caris Living Podcast on Instagram. Go there, slide into our DMs as always for all of our swag. So much good stuff. Baseball tees, tanks. Tanks are perfect right now. $15. You're on the beaches of Wilmington. You're looking for ways to stay cool out there while also looking cool as fuck, like a John B, like a JJ, like a Pogue. Be like one of John B's boys. Slide into the DMs. Ask for some swag. You will get it. Okay, let's transition into the pod. We're going to have Pat and intern Whitney call in as we do it. Let's get a little cage the elephant. Ain't no rest for the wicked. And this is what she said. Oh, there ain't no rest for the wicked. Money don't grow on trees. I got bills to pay. I got mouths to feed. There ain't nothing in this world. We just had a, a background of flowers, but it got mixed for, you know, all natural. So we're coming at you raw. <laughs> so how does everyone feel after part one? Did we miss anything? Any addendums? Mm, I think we nailed it all. Um, I felt really good about it, Whitney. Yeah. No, I think it was good. Cool. Perfect podcast. I love that. It was the perfect podcast. (laughs) The only... uh, Are we recording this? Like, is this for use or is this just us talking? We can just go into it if you want. No, I was just the only thing I Is this content? Whitney wants to know if, like, she should have a good take. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that, it was just the way I delivered it would be different. But uh, yeah, use your podcast. No, <laughs> yeah. The only thing I thought about afterwards is just bringing up the whole idea of like, do families with multiple children have favorites? Because that keeps coming up, like Rafe and Sarah, Rafe and Sarah, like who? And as an only somewhat only child, it's always been on my mind. Like, are there favorite kids? I mean, he, but I think we could do that this this go around because that is a yeah that's a through line we should should get into it right now i mean 
let's just i mean that's hot fire content we should just address it right now if there's favorite kids i wish we had been and natalie or julie or zerb because we we have babies in the oven but we don't have multiple and thought process is the exact same as mine i don't think you really know until you have multiple kids yeah but you you all were all children of multiple children families like did you get the vibe that there was a favorite and if so who was it i i can tell you in my family dynamic my sisters would definitely say that as i was the oldest i was definitely given like preferential treatment and like there's always an inside running joke of like whenever I would come back from college, my mom would always have like fresh banana bread baked, uh, but she wouldn't do that for the other kids because they were the oldest. Because you didn't steal that vodka. That's why they loved you so much. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know because we don't have kids, but I mean, who knows? Like, let's say you have a kid that comes out like Rafe and he's like a serial killer. Wouldn't you just kind of default to... I kind of play favorites with the one who's like not murdering. I but if you're Ward, it's like he's the one cut in your own image, you know. So like, is he proud? Somewhat, I don't know. I just maybe there's nothing here. Not to mention then you then you got Wheezy there, like clear. She's like, she's so just, useless that she doesn't need to be. She's not uh, the favorite, right? sure. Definitely yeah. not the favorite. By the way, I was just thinking of this while we were talking about that there's clearly the the race between who's the best um kid of wards like who's his favorite on that side all of the pogues i think are only children am i right yeah John- and that's that's probably why they they family up so hard together yeah yeah i don't know maybe this isn't it's just the one thing i thought about it's always been on my mind as a question is like, do families have favorites? Well, let's just break it down. Like, let's just think about our, our favorite teen drama TV shows. Like mm-hmm. the OC was our firstborn, and we obviously have an emotional attachment to that. It was our first kid. It was our first podcast and it'll always be near and dear to our hearts. But then like Friday night lights, we can agree was like the best actual show. So it's, I don't think, I don't think you play favorites. It's just like different kinds of love that you have for each of your kids. I mean, podcasts. I feel like you just gave me a moment of clarity on this. That was brilliant. I mean, I have a different kind of love for the OC than I do with Friday Night Lights than I do uh, OBX. I don't know. Made sense to me. You satisfied with me? Yeah, I'll take it. Maybe you love them both differently. Um, I To be determined, but... Yeah, I think it's clear Whitney's only going to love like one of your three kids. I, I, I'll i go on record and say right now, I think I'll have a favorite. It's kind of what it sounds like. It could shift over time, but I I don't buy that parents don't have favorites. I think they do. But I, I actually don't disagree. I think they might have favorites. And it's just one of those things you can never you can never actually verbalize. Yeah. Someone email in and let us know um, if you have favorite kids and stuff. That would be great. Um, okay. Let's guess some Rotten Tomatoes. We I, I, I held off on this on the first one, but I was kind of looking at it. And uh, oh, wait. So let me say it officially on the pod. What the structure of this one will be is we're going to go. Same thing we did on part one. Ten questions that I had one coming out of each episode. And I think that will navigate us successfully through the plot of season two. But first, before we get into that, Rotten Tomatoes. Where do you guys think season one versus season two measures up on OBX. 
That's a good question. They each, they each have their own Rotten Tomato score. They each have their own, and then there's a total, which I have too. I'm going to say first season, oh, 78%. Okay. Pat? Uh, I'll go first season, 72. I'm going to go with 68. Season one is 71%. You guys are all in the, in the vicinity. Now, do you I feel think... Like closer than the vicinity. Yeah, you guys are pretty close. Uh, this was like a par four. You're definitely on in two for yeah. all three of you. What do you think season two? Just say up or down. Do you think season two was higher or lower than season one? I'm going to say down. I say higher. It was definitely more action packed. I'm going to say higher. It was higher. 12 points higher. 83, which I was kind of shocked by. My guess would have been with intern Whitney lower. Yeah, I think I, my assumption is that season two just had so much hype behind it that the critics kind of knew what they're getting their hands around when they're giving their score out. Um, season one is just like, OK, here's another new Netflix show, you know, whatever. I'll watch it and then give my score by season two. Like it was fully a thing. So I think that factored into the score. I don't even but, know if it was about the content of the episodes. But expectations were pretty high. So you got got to think now they're judging with like a stricter ruler. I, I don't know. I would say the expectations were delivered upon, at least for this podcaster. I feel like with sequels, they usually get punished by critics more with the lone exception of Dark Knight, where that was just obviously like the greatest movie ever made. So the sequel was better rated than the first one. But I feel like it. they usually tend to go lower. So I was that's why I was a little surprised. Yeah, it's interesting. And then I don't know if we get into the semantics about is a season two a sequel the same way a second movie is a sequel. Like just cash in. <clears throat> yeah. And it's interesting too because usually, well, I guess it depends. Like OC, I felt like season two dipped a little bit. Whereas you have something like Dawson's Creek where I feel like they didn't even hit anywhere near their stride until two and three. So I guess it just depends. But speaking of those other shows, I, I did just quickly glance at Rotten Tomatoes on those other teen shows because we've, we've never talked about them. Where do you think they all rank out between the shows we've done? Friday Night Lights, Dawson's Creek, Smallville, One Tree Hill, The O.C., Euphoria. Where do you think these all rank? Like who's number one? Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights. Fall, Friday Night Lights followed by Euphoria. Yeah. And maybe flipped. I don't know if the HBO bump gives them like extra credit. Wow. Are we fans or critics? All, all critics on this? Mostly critics. There's a couple that didn't have critic scores that I had to use the audience, but you're you're right on the top two. Friday Night Lights, 97 at one. Yeah. Euphoria, 90 at two. Dawson's okay. Creek, DC coming in at three down at 80%, but that's just the audience. There was no critics on that. Smallville. Smallville, number four at 78. Mm. That's that's surprising. And then, uh, yeah, the audience was a little lower on that, 68, which makes sense to me. And then Outer Banks is right after Smallville at 77. Cume score. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got, you got the stragglers, dude. You got 
One Tree Hill and the OC coming in in, in the uh, high 60s, low 70s. I thought that was BS. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is BS. Okay, um, that's it for Rotten Tomatoes. I just last thing before we get into these 10 things, I uh, there's a fun fact I missed on part one when we're talking about things I want to make in a, just a, a quick ad. Did you know that Ward Cameron is Josh Porter, regional manager for Dunder Mifflin Stanford? in the office <laughs> not until right now but uh yeah now i remember That's he's crazy. clean shaven and he's uh yeah like jim and uh andy dwyer and karen's boss when jim leaves for that hot second yeah and his eyes are probably slightly less crazed and glassy yeah he's one of the main actors in that i don't do you guys watch nashville probably. uh no, that's my parents are all over that shit though. But yeah, he's one of the main main guys in that and totally different character. So he's got versatility. Yeah, he's actually a great actor. I was realizing like we'll we'll get to it when we get to awards, but when I was like ranking my MCITW, I didn't even really consider Ward or Rafe, you know, because it was like, yeah, these guys are evil villains, but I don't like hate them. They just they're the villains and they play it pretty well, but I don't like, I don't think they're the worst like actors or characters or whatever. Yeah, I agree. I think they both, they both play their parts. Well, right. And, and Whitney, you just remind me if he plays an alcoholic in Nashville, he is 100% sober for most of his villainy and this whole season. Like he's just a straight edge, bad guy. <laughs> There's nothing altering his mind at all. Besides that gold fever. <laughs> Yeah, he does have a lot of gold fever. That is, yeah, why is is there never a shot like in a montage or or whatever of Ward just like taking a draw off of like a neat whiskey sour? Yeah, you'd think he'd be driven by, yeah, I don't know, at least trying to take the edge off of his psychopathy. I don't know. I was going <laughs> to guess cocaine. And it's Rafe. I feel like Rafe is doing cocaine. He ha- Yeah, th- weren't there <laughs> shots of him doing cocaine? Oh, yeah, he actually was. Yeah. And that guy's his dealer that's on the show. Forget his yeah. name. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who, guys, that guy's porn mustache always just creeps me <laughs> out. Rafe's a Coke dealer. Um, okay. You want to do these 10 questions? Just hop right into yep. season two. Let's get in there. So I did not have a question for episode one because we already did episode one. So it's more of there's been a lot of heat in our friend group post part one of the pod about we actually didn't give Sarah Cameron her due <laughs> from a looks perspective, which I thought we did. <laughs> apparently we did. Yeah. yeah. Apparently we didn't go hard enough into how attractive she is. So after watching season two, I would say the biggest thing for me was is Sarah Cameron almost too hot slash unwatchable on screen because of how insane her body is. Mm, it's tough. I mean, it, it is tough. It's real tough. I you guys have to take breaks. So I'll have to say no to your question. Is it unwatchable? Because yes, I did watch it. Um, but yeah, I mean, she is quite attractive. So we can spend at least 20 more minutes talking about it if you want. Well, like I, I noticed it so much in, in season two, like when she's running around, 
gallivanting around the Bahamas with John B, you know, escaping people and whatnot, running all right. the time. Um, <laughs> her outfit, those high waisted jeans where you essentially see the bottom of her ass all the time. And then like that crop top tee, braless, pretty sure. Then you call that out. Yeah, she left that thing in season one. Yeah, it's again, it's tough. It's tough to watch. <laughs> I also love how she like when they went to the Bahamas, she was in that that outfit for like probably a month. Like, I don't even know a very long time. And then when she finally changed, it was the exact same outfit. (laughs) It was like a crop top tank top thing and and high waisted shorts. (laughs) She's got a look. It reminds me, BD, do you remember we went to... um... I forget how long ago it was, but it was an IU tailgate and we had been graduated from college for probably like five years. So like, we didn't really know what the scene was. And all of a sudden we noticed that literally every college girl that we saw was dressed in the exact same uniform. Uh, It was shocking because when we left in 2010, Uggs were everywhere. I mean, everyone was wearing Uggs. And when we came back five years later, it was, the high top Chuck T's white. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no colors. You cannot. I mean, Chuck T sells a million different colors, but no, it had to be white high top Chuck T's high waisted jean shorts. And then I can't remember what's going on up top, but yeah, it was everyone was wearing that it's pretty much crop tops. And now now the teens are wearing these like tight biker shorts and then wearing an oversized sweatshirt or oversized like long sleeve shirt to where you can't see their pants. That's that's the look now. Oh, you know what? That girl in White Lotus, uh, HBO show White Lotus, is always rocking that look. Yeah, it's it's and, the yeah. new it's the new look now. Uh, I haven't seen that. Is it a good look? Like, is it? Well, as a guy like myself who loves like you know ladies wearing a sweatshirt that's like three sizes too big. Right. Yeah. That's one of the ones because I couldn't imagine like for me personally and my, my body. And I would imagine this goes across the board for most male body types. The worst look you can possibly do is a long t-shirt, no pants. (laughs) (laughs) So like, if you're basically trying to like mimic a pseudo version of that look, I take that. What about Tom Cruise risky business? That's the only one. And I mean, he's, he's got, Tom Cruise and he's Tom Cruise and it's iconic, but like, but you also like, wouldn't be walking around like downtown. <laughs> Get arrested. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's just a weird juxtaposition. Good luck for girls, I guess. Bad luck for guys. Okay. So we, we have established that Sarah Cameron, can we say officially that she's hotter than key now? Like it's not even a question. And that's where I'm at now. I mean, she got voted on this show. She got voted 75%. Okay. Are we going 100 now? Who was the holder? Was Whitney? It was was me. And I did did start to reevaluate a bit. I'll say during season two. Which pure jogging scene was it where she was jogging on a... (laughs) That did it for you. Well, I was wondering if this... Are you not the same podcaster that stated you did not like seeing girls run? That it was a turnoff? I did say that. Are you re- are you uh, recanting that statement? Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the exact thing that we need to to crack this case of like 
obviously she is the hottest by a mile because even when I see her run, I'm not vomiting. <laughs> she no, she has she looks like an athlete when she runs. She has a nice gait. Uh, on the flip side, though, and this will go points against based on you know points against key is there's a scene where. They're on the beach, kind of by John B.'s house, and all the cops roll up on the water. Oh, yeah, no, I know exactly. Yeah, way, and it's like I don't think she's ever, I don't think she's ever run in her life. It's, it's honestly, it's like she didn't, she doesn't move her arms up, like her arms stay down here, and she just like waddles on the upper half. You got to, yeah, that's a, that's a perfect call out. It's even in the trailer when she's running on the beach. I was thinking of you when she was running. I was like, "Key, I mean, Key's never touched a ball of any sport." Yeah, this points off. Yeah, so tough. you're on. You're on Team Sarah Cameron. I guess I'll, I'll. I can be on Team Sarah Cameron. Okay, good. Well, we fully flushed that out. I, I feel like Sarah Cameron uh, after season two, it's a runaway victory for her uh, in terms of Key versus SC looks. Number two, I know this was touched on on our first pod. But it's so egregious. It, it actually got more egregious in in number two, season two, that I have to bring it up again. How much fucking hard evidence do the Pogues need to gather for the cops to just take a flyer on their fucking murder accusations? Like, there is a point where it, it, I think this is is episode one or two where Ward Cameron has just fucking first degree murdered. His pilot from the Bahamas, execution style, <laughs> murdered him. Not only did are there three eyewitnesses to it, but they also catch it on film. Now, I know they lost the film and, and they didn't end up having that, but there's three eyewitnesses. They are telling like the, the sheriff that this guy was murdered. They all saw it and the sheriff won't even like put a fucking phone call in to the guy or the guy's wife like just that is quickly satisfied with like you blow a call (laughs) into this guy's wife she answers the phone she says no he's actually right here we just sat down for dinner those pogue kids are fucking crazy as shit don't believe them case closed we all go home but like (laughs) there's just the, the the guy's going hey kids where's the dead body not here okay you guys that, are all fucking insane see ya that sheriff just hates leads <laughs> more than i mean so a that's that's enough evidence imagine if one of you guys was over our house so there's three of us sitting in our house and we walk outside and take a walk and we see our neighbor shoot their husband in cold blood and then we're like that was crazy let's call the police we called the police, explain exactly what happened, and they just told us to fuck ourselves. Yeah, because they're like, where's the husband's body? And you're like, well, after this crazy fucking lady murdered him, she threw his body in the car and drove away. And she's probably burying it somewhere, sir. So I so and then on top of that, they eventually do procure the murder weapon. Yeah. So I don't know if this is episode two or not, but they go through all these crazy ends because Ward ditches the gun into the storm drain and they end up finding it. And they come back to this sheriff who hates evidence and they (laughs) hand him murder weapon and they're like, here's the gun. We found it. This is the gun that he shot that pilot with. And it's still like, "Uh, I don't know. 
we'll see. And so they leave and he takes it, looks up the serial number. It's registered to Ward. <laughs> and now it's like, Bill, what more? There's fucking two episodes go by before he does something with that evidence. But I think they're building their case, though, because they've got the like, what is it? The SBI. Yeah, I think and, that problem. That guy knows. Yeah, that, that guy knows that that's Ward's bad. They they finally pull in the, the FBI or whoever SBI. that's supposed to be. It's and the then SBI. stuff starts to get moving a little bit. But it was a while before. They were in on the first. So they SBI comes in at the end of season one. And they're working the case like in the background. I think they were just building their case. And keeping the work. kids in the dark. Oh, okay. Yeah. So then my question is, did the sheriff actually hide all that evidence until the SBI just decided we actually found enough evidence on our end? So we're going to take this guy down. And then at that point, the sheriff just like, was the sheriff working with Ward initially? And that was the pushback. Or does he just suck ass at his job? I think he just sucks. I don't think he was paid off by war. I think he was working with the SBI guy in the back. I I agree with Whitney. I think they were trying to build a case to like make sure that they could get everything that they had on him. Then why did he put the gun in his cabinet? To save his evidence. I guess the only way that I can make this uh, make sense is what Whitney and Haugen are saying. He basically doesn't want to tell the kids like, yeah, you know, you're right. This guy's evil. He's just like, because they're slowly building a case behind the scenes. Yeah. I don't know. That's the only thing. I thought that's thought. what they were implying the whole time. But maybe, okay. maybe well, I just want to trick law enforcement too much. Quick, quick side note, though. Is SBI a real thing? No. Yeah. South Carolina Bureau of Investigation. Oh, I thought that yeah. was just because they couldn't use like the FBI for like reasons. <laughs> No, I think it's this, the South Carolina branch. I was well, thinking it was like C Bureau of Investigation because it was like close to water. <laughs> no, I think it's. Why wouldn't it be SCBI then if it was South Carolina? Too, too many bank. acronyms. Yeah. Look it up. Look it up. Also, they're in North Carolina. They're in the Outer Banks, not South Carolina. Oh, you're right. I think it was because they couldn't use like it's like one of those movies where they can't they didn't get the rights from the NFL. So instead of. <laughs> Cowboys Bureau. Broncos, it's sharks Bureau. versus rhinos. It's State Bureau of Investigation. Oh, okay. So it's, it's an actual thing. So not as not as big scale as the FBI. This is Kroger brand? It's Kroger brand FBI. They couldn't get the big dogs down there for a fucking murder case? <laughs> God damn. Okay, number three. Through three episodes, I was starting to wonder like. Where's the fucking teen drama in season two? I mean, <laughs> I legitimately felt like I was watching the Jason Bourne trilogy, especially when they were in the Bahamas. I mean, there was a car chase happening like every 30 seconds when they're down in the Bahamas in the first three episodes. And so my question is um, that my question, where's the teen drama? That was a question. Sorry. So where is it? Where is it? It was underneath all the adventure. I honestly in the moment realized that there was no teen drama happening thought it was a little weird and then just kept rolling with it i figured it would come i figured it would come and it did they used the lull moments in the middle of all the action adventure to focus on teen drama but that didn't really happen until like midway through the uh the season yeah that's where i noticed a shift where definitely early on it was like a a jason Bourne trilogy except with 
younger, hotter, sweatier people as the leads versus a Matt Damon. But then about like episode five or six, once they got out of the Bahamas and even once they got out of South Carolina, like once they got back to like John B's house in the Outer Banks around episode five or six, I think that's when we started getting more teen drama. But yeah, I, I was craving it early. It's nice for me because it means the heat is always on. Um, in terms of entertainment value and keeping me locked in because when the action adventure is happening, all the characters are in love with each other. Everybody's like the whole crew is best friends. You know, you don't have to worry about that aspect, but then when they get a win or there's a lull on the action, then they start heating up the teen drama. All of a sudden people are breaking up, people are getting into fights, but I'm still like at a 10 in terms of entertainment. Yeah, I think you definitely over-index from like a thriller perspective than I do because like you get jacked about like the chase scenes and stuff, whereas I'm kind of just like looking for that moment of is it on right now between these two teens. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Any other thoughts on that, on the uh, action-packed Jason Bourne stuff, or should I move on to number four? I cared for. Okay. Rafe shoots his own sister and so officially i want to ask has rafe in season two taken over the ward cameron mantle as the biggest villain in the outer banks i'd say definitely ah i think i think he's now surpassed his father for sure i think he's more of a screw loose than even his dad does they both obviously are insane but Rafe scares me even more than Ward in terms of like what he's capable of ultimately yeah I would, ag- I would agree with that. go ahead Anne. oh go ahead you're good yeah I mean I think although we do see <laughs> we do see that Ward's capable of also threatening his own family later on that just reminds me of exactly how every zoom call works like when you're <laughs> when you're at work no you go you go um, no, I, I was just I- gonna say. Oh, no, you go. No, sorry. I, okay. no, sorry. I was just gonna say weather here sucks. Right. Anyways, you go. <laughs> okay. Am I on mute? Okay. Okay. Uh, I do think. Um, I I agree. I think Wraith is way scarier now when he's on screen. But they're almost two different types of evil. Wraith is like that. Um, like that shark kind of, or like some kind of wild animal that they're just going to do whatever they do. And for him, it's just be evil and totally unpredictable. Whereas Ward is more of the schemer. He's evil and like a conniving super manipulative way where Rafe is just one scene. He's trying to be nice and trying to be a better person. And in his own mind, he actually does think he's going to be that. And then the next scene, he's literally trying to kill his sister. Yeah. I feel, <laughs> I feel like, uh, Ward, to your point about scheming, it's almost like his intentions at the onset actually start out kind of pure and genuine. And then he has no idea how to like get there in a cool way. (laughs) He's the only way he knows how to get there is just in a shady way. Whereas Rafe, to your point, I think he just came out the womb evil and is at a point where he will just kill or murder anyone for no reason whatsoever. Not only does he shoot his sister, but later on in the season, he just full on is trying to drown the fuck out of her and, and kill her 2.0 style. And, and has, I think the thing for me is he has Rafe has no empathy. Like, I think he is genuinely in that serial killer, like sociopath mentality of, 
I cannot see any other perspective versus my own. And I cannot feel, I do not think of how you feel about anything. I just don't have that ability. I'm a, I'm a sociopath. Correct. The main difference that I see, um, which kind of leads back to the sociopath thing is Ward kills, but he kills with a purpose, like to protect his family, to get the gold, to be able to, you know, live comfortably in the Bahamas and have a shit ton of money. Whereas Rafe just does it because he wants to. Is Rafe getting off on murder, like sexually? <laughs> Close. No, I think you nailed it. I, I think he's just that sociopath where if someone's in his way, he just doesn't think twice about killing them to get rid of the problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're going to say he's uh, officially taken the mantle then from Ward. <laughs> his solution was always... Well, we should just kill him. Yeah, yeah. come on, dad. dad. What's up? <laughs> yeah, I feel like his dad is trying to he's trying to get there without killing, but he he uses it as like a last resort. Again, he he how he gets to places isn't ideal, but he doesn't start there. Rafe starts there. Um number five, into some of the teen drama, because we're at the mid-season point now. Hope and Key finally have sex. In turn, Whitney, I think, was probably jacked about that. Did this sexual encounter actually drive them apart? Because it seemed like after they boned on the beach, they were as distant towards each other as ever. Yeah. So this is so during the episode, Pat looked at me because I, I rewatched this one with him and um he was just like so disgusted by Pope at the beginning, checking to make sure it was okay with Key and saying, oh. saying basically, basically like, oh, you know, I don't want to like mess up the friendship. Like, are you sure this is going to be okay? And like, like going through all of that. And you were just like, oh my God, he's ruining it. He's going to ruin this. Like it's, he's got his opportunity. Right. And I told you what exactly ended up happening is he's got a point because if this is weird, there's no going back. And that's, that's just tip for the kids. Like if you like the friendship will be ruined. So. I just think he, he knows what he wants. He knows that he thinks that she wants it. There's a little spark going. He's just got to go for it. And it's like when he's pity patterning around, he's blowing out the spark on accident. Like he doesn't so you don't really care. You don't really care about ruining the friendship like Whitney does. Pouring gas on that spark and igniting it. I don't know. In turn, Whitney, during our courtship, if I asked you at least a dozen times if you were interested. But we weren't, would, uh, we weren't good, how, we weren't good friends first. You weren't worried about ruining decades of friendship. Like, exactly. We would have just gone our separate ways. And that would be so, that. So Pat's not as worried about ruining the friendship if he's Pope, where Whitney's very concerned about that friendship being ruined. Where, where Pope lost her is he wasn't decisive. Yeah. I think, I mean, don't ladies like a little decisiveness? Isn't that? Yeah, I feel like little, they do. A little decisiveness? Like, hey, I'm into you so hard, it's worth risking our friendship. Like, let's do this. Yeah. I mean, this is where like, and I don't, I don't know. I, this is a loaded topic, but um, getting into like culture now, I do empathize a bit with guys on how tricky it is to read what you're supposed to do in the current climate, because I think 
and Anna, you'll have to tell me where you stand on this, but like, you need to ask consent, you need to confirm consent, you need to, and, and I do think like gotten to a place where it's good that that dialogue is open and we're at least talking about those things, but it's confusing as hell because at the same time, I think women also sometimes think if you confirm it too many times or you get hesitant or you act nervous, that can be somewhat of a turnoff. And I can see where it's confusing and I don't know the right answer um, because I mean, consent's obviously huge and needs to happen, but where's the line of it getting to where the person doesn't seem confident anymore. And I don't know, Anna, you, you won't weigh in on this. So I don't yeah, go out on <laughs> I a hundred percent agree with you. I think it's, it's harder to, to date nowadays because you, you know, you have to ask those questions, which you always should, but it does kind of, if, if it, it, it has to be almost like a happy medium, because if you do it too much, the girl's going to be like, okay, what's, what, what's wrong? Do you, do you not want to do it? Like what, why are you hesitating? Why are you asking all these questions? But at, at the other, at the other end, you want to make sure that she's comfortable and it doesn't, end up biting you later. So, you know, I just thinking about this, I think the way to do it is cannot lose the confidence. So when you're asking the questions, you just cannot lose the show of confidence. So it's almost like I like the move nowadays because like, yeah, I'm, I'm in with you guys. I'm like, how are teens hooking up these days? Like, I don't even know how they're coming together. <laughs> With the, with this fucking Rubik's cube, how are you guys hooking up? Right into the email, please. Yeah, <laughs> kids, write in on how you guys actually fucking hook up these days. But for me, I think how I would navigate these waters is I like confidently be like, I want to kiss you right now. Can I kiss you right now? Or like kind of like that. Like just put it out there what your intentions are, kind of thing, and then just get you know give it a beat or two, make sure she gives the consent, but then still take the lead on it. Where was this guy when we were dating? <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yes. We're married and it I it worked and and so it worked. Yeah. Whatever I yeah. did worked. BD, you totally won her over with false confidence. <laughs> I can <laughs> <attend that. laughs> All right. So Whitney, how do you feel about that? Because obviously Anna from HR is confused on how much she's into me still to this day and how <laughs> I got here. But if a guy shows a little confidence, like hey. I want to kiss you right now and, and waits for the consent. Is that. That's what I said to you before our first kiss. You were, Do you remember you this? Were, yeah, but I remember you were pushier than I was. But I was very, <laughs> I was very pushy with the question though. But you were, you like, I don't know. Like I wasn't, it wasn't an all shuck situation. You didn't, you weren't hesitant or nervous. I was, that's the thing is you can't be like, Hey, is it okay if I do it? Only yeah. if it's okay with you. Like, just tell me. Like, I sorry, I don't want to upset you. Like, ask. I was asking in the way, like, if someone had a bowl of snacks, like they came over and they had a bag of chips, and I really wanted one, and I was like, hey, can I have one of those chips? Like, I I really needed one, and so that's oh how God. I asked. In my analogy, you would go up to the the chip holder and you would say, hey, I really want one of those chips. I'm gonna take <laughs> one of your chips. Is yeah. that okay? I'm gonna take one. And then you take the chip. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I don't know. I think, like, Pope's approach is better than going the other way too far. Like, so, for tip for the kids, especially the boy kids out there, 
always err on the side of caution because <laughs> the other way will get you a reputation and yeah. into trouble. So I respect what Pope did. And I, you guys are getting ready to have a little boy. What are what are you, how are you going to coach him up? I don't know. Cause who knows by the time he's at, at that age, like what the new world order is going to be with all this stuff, because it's probably going to change again and, and evolve in the next 10, 15 years, whatever. But yeah. like, again, I think I'm just going to always fall back on just fake confidence, just fake it, fake confidence. No one likes a pussy. Now, again, it's tough because you don't want to be like, you know, pushing kisses on, on people who don't want them. But yeah, it's respectful confidence. Yeah. Respectful confidence. Like have respectful confidence. Don't be an idiot. Yeah. No, I think good approach. You do we actually know what went down that night? Because I I just got really confused uh, during the aftermath, them talking about it and like not wanting to talk about it. And then when they talked about it, it was like, was it good or was it bad or was it weird? Like we just didn't get a whole lot of clarity. It's it's in my nits to pick section later, but just to tease it a little bit. I was also confused and, and this is, it gets into the whole thing of like, I, I don't know why, did they not show it for a reason? Well, I mean, from what he says, she's implying like it was not good. Like it, it was awkward. Really? Yeah. I think that's what she, cause she, remember she kind of sets it up. She's like, the night was perfect. We were on the beach. we like been with our friends it was like a perfect night it should have been great shouldn't it have and he's kind of like going on like i think he thought it was fine and then you can see his face sink when she kind of says but it just wasn't and i don't know i i thought they were teeing it up you know we were talking about on the first pod like the whole jj thing and wanting jj to be with kiara for me I thought they were teeing it up to like start incorporating more teen drama and issues within these, the, this group of friends in season three, because it really felt like towards the end of the season, Kiara and JJ were really starting to connect. Yep. Yep. Her in the water with him, holding them up. Uh-huh. Like- it's about going on a surf trip around the world. I mean, yeah. yeah, they were connecting emotionally and she saved his life. So it's like, Let's just leave that there. Let's leave that there. I'll uh, I'll go ahead. This is a prediction for season three, but I'll go ahead and say it now before that segment. If they do hook up, JJ's not asking for permission three times. <laughs> he's he's also not going to ask if it's going to ruin their friendship three times. I don't. I agree, and I think Kiara is actually going to be into that. I right. think she's going to like the the, yeah. the drive. I agree. I agree. And I think he'll, he'll be able to read the body language to know if she's into it or not. Yeah. Okay. Let's leave that there. God, who knows how long we keep into that super uh, intense yet timely in 2021 conversation. <laughs> I mean, it had to be had. We had, had to discuss the issue of consent. We had to. Number six. We get introduced to Carla Limbry who is some whacked out crazy old white lady who is essentially just trying to steal gold crosses that belong to Pope's ancestors who turned out to be the guy who owned the original gold bars, Denmark Tanny, I think. Mm-hmm. Nailed it. I thought it was Tanyan. No, you're thinking of D'Artagnan from Three Musketeers. Classic. Classic you. 
Um, <laughs> Classic. <laughs> she's always thinking about Chris O'Donnell, dude. Always. Uh, threw me off there with that. <laughs> okay, here's my question. Did we need the whole storyline with this Limbry chick and the gold cross and all that? It seemed gratuitous, and I felt like we had enough with the simple, you know, John B. and his crew versus Ward and his crew for the gold bars. Like, did we need the extra $500 million gold cross? It's a good question. It added a little bit of history context to everything, I think, um, because she was super into the historical thing. I believe one of her ancestors was the captain of the ship. That was the original shipwreck. So that was kind of interesting. But I didn't really like her as a character. Um, She didn't add much. That storyline didn't add much other than, like I said, just a little bit more backdrop to the whole thing. You know who she was? No. No. She was uh, that lady from Lost, that doctor lady. Do you recognize uh, her? I don't remember any of the characters from Lost other than like a couple. Oh, okay. I just kind of viewed it as it, it reminded me, you know, speaking your language of National Treasure 2, where like sure. <laughs> National Treasure 2, where they started just getting into these like they overcomplicated the storylines. I remember at one point in National Treasure 2, they like somehow snuck into the president's Oval Office and were like clicking secret portals on his desk in the Oval Office into secret tunnels under the White House. And it was just like, did we need to go this far? <laughs> oh, I totally agree with you. I think it was like a hat on a hat. Isn't that what they say? Yeah. It was, I think this is where it started to get like it. it continued to get throughout the season a bit too much or too extreme. I think I joked with Pat, like, are they going to be driving cars in outer space? Like <laughs> it just got, <laughs> yeah. it got to be like, ah, now we're leaving reality a bit too much. Like I, I could follow you on the first treasure, but the second set of treasure, we didn't need to go there. Yeah. Nice. I don't know that point i don't love that there's two sets of treasure yeah like let's just go one treasure and i mean the trip the original treasure is worth like half, half a b yeah so that's like a, enough treasure to get me excited yeah i mean i don't need two half a b treasures you know i i would have been on board with a you know even a quarter b how do they move this cross too it's like the other thing i'm thinking about is what's what's the plan for the cross like this antiquity you got to like fence it, I guess. <laughs> and then, term. then you have to like, there's going to be, this is a mo- much more complicated treasure to actually turn into some real money for the Cameron family. Well, cause yeah, I mean, it's, you get into the whole question of like, is it your duty to just give that like piece of artwork to like a museum for however much they would pay you for it versus yeah. what are, are you going to destroy that? historical piece of artwork and like have them melt down all that gold so you can get the half a B. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't mind melting down gold bars for that half <laughs> a B, but like melting down that like cross, that artistic cross is like, it's got secret like compartments in it and stuff. I mean, a lot of time went into that cross <laughs> just going <laughs> to melt down. Um, okay. That's six. Let's take a, let's take a music break here. I felt like there was a great little moment 
when we got like a teen drama break in this show. And I think they were like mid season. They were sitting around the bonfire. I think it's when they all got back. You know, they're out of the Bahamas. They met up. They got back from South Carolina. They're back in the Outer Banks, sitting around John B's house, all the Pogues together, Kumbaya. And they were playing this song, and it just felt like it, it was it was hitting me right in the teen drama roots way. Oh, you will want to know where I am now. You know, my dear. You are only seventeen. You don't know what it means. So I climb down and pick the cherries that fell to the ground. Mm-hmm. I can't carry it alone. Number seven, Ward and Rafe are caught by the SBI. We're still not totally sure if that is a real thing or Kroger brand, but either way, they are fucking caught. Sarah Cameron and John B break up at that time because it's just getting too much for her with her dad getting caught for murder and her brother getting caught for murder. Topper comes into the mix at this time, wedges John B. My question, because I didn't want to go the whole pod without talking about Topper. Did Topper redeem himself when he stepped in to save Sarah during the John B breakup? I mean, I think in the moment, his intentions were good and noble. Like he's trying to save this girl that he loves. But then it's clearly like he's he's going to use all this as leverage to get her back. And that part, I'm not. I'm not so into, but yeah. And he became like weirdly obsessed too, like just a little too much. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he's an opportunist, um, snake in the grass. Once a snake in the grass, always a snake in the grass. I will. I I do want to add a little detail to, um, the driving force behind John B and, um, Sarah's breakup. If you remember the boat explode, I don't know if I'm giving plot points away too early, but oh, God. Uh, the boat explodes with uh, Ward on it, Sarah's dad. Although the cops are after him, everybody knows that he did the murders or whatever is, is wrapped up in all this stuff. So the cops are hot on his trail. He lures them all out on the dock by his yacht, runs into it, and uh, it explodes around him. Everybody's there to see it. Jombie's there. Sarah's there watching her dad get exploded right in front of her eyes. <laughs> And she's like falling apart and she looks up and John B is just so happy. <laughs> I wouldn't say happy, but he's just, he's satisfied. Like he's enjoying watching Ward burn to death on this boat and offering no solace or comfort to his now wife. <laughs> fiance, fiance. And just so, just so happens at the exact moment, Topper comes sprinting down the dock who we haven't seen all season out of nowhere and starts consoling her. 
And this quite literally, great point by you, this quite literally illustrates what we've been saying for years, which is if you're an attractive lady and you're dating someone, Correct. odds are there are always at least like two guys like sharks circling, waiting in the fucking wings for that mm-hmm. inevitable breakup to happen with your significant other. So I loved it because it really showcased like the, this is exactly how it would go. John B. If you ever let Sarah Cameron go, there is <laughs> at least going to be one guy running to the dock within five seconds of you guys. You have, you have five seconds before she's with another guy, not four, not six. You have five and like topper. It leads me to believe that topper was just the whole first half of the season. He was keeping like a, like a 60 yard perimeter around Sarah at all times. Like he was just out of the frame of reference for the camera. We couldn't see him. He was probably in Nassau that whole time, <laughs> just like circling, laying in wait until that exact moment where he saw like John B like, Ooh, he was just a little too happy that Sarah's dad just died and he's not comforting her. Fucking beelines down the dock and comforts her. Just waiting, just fucking waiting. And this is always the thing that there's always a little difference of opinion it always seems like the ladies are are convinced that there are not dudes waiting in the wings. Whereas I think Pete, me and Pat always know there very much are. I think, you know, I think, you know, if there's options you have, I think you, you maybe uh, work to keep those options open. Like <laughs> you know, in case I'm my previous life, not once you're married, once you're married, there. Are no Wait, I mean, now that you're pregnant, would you say you only have like three people? <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> Every single one of my options. You still have five, though. Yeah. 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 I would. I'm curious right now, Whitney, who's the topper right now waiting for Pat to fuck up? Does he work with you or what's no. the connection? Does he live back where your parents are in Louisville or something? No, I think Pat. Pat getting me pregnant probably solely shut down. Let's just say, I bought myself some time. <laughs> <laughs> so after you have the child is when Topper comes back. Yeah, right. maybe. Right. I will say, though, I did like this whole scenario, though, because it, it again, I'm always wanting the teen drama. I loved when they went to that bonfire and John mm-hmm. B was hanging around with that fucking thirsty ass chick who was literally just trying to fuck anyone with a dick and a pulse and (laughs) john b was entertaining it and then he was looking over and love those moments you know when it's like john b's looking at sarah and she's like laughing with topper then he's like fuck i need to show her and then he starts flirting with someone and then she looks over and thinks that he's having a great time i just love i love those moments yeah, that was pretty classic. I, I did like the bonfire scene um, that did eventually break out into full on Pogues versus Kooks fist fight. Always. Yeah, I don't think in the Outer Banks, I mean, they say that it's like a yearly tradition to do that big like bonfire event, but I'm not totally sure if like that event ever goes off without a hitch, you know, like, is there ever a bonfire annual bonfire in the Outer Banks that doesn't end with a Pogue Kook fight off? The opening scene of the bar or the opening shot of the bonfire is some guy riding a dirt bike like through the party. And I was just like, yeah, this isn't going to end well. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, number eight. Why are we not getting more time dedicated to JJ and his dad? Every time 
we got a taste of it in season one, as we mentioned on part one, it was like our favorite, most dynamic, like raw, real emotional moment of season one. And then in season two, again, it came out of nowhere. I don't even think it was needed for the season, but like when it happened, his dad like gets out of jail. JJ's got to like stop all the shenanigans he's doing, trying to get treasure with his bros and like get his dad out of town or whatever. And it's, it's, oh, it just like sucks me in. I just always want more of this dynamic. I think they're saving it for season three. Like, I think Pope got his time and, you know, time in the spotlight more so this season. Cause I feel like versus season one, this, cause it's always going to be John B and Sarah. Like, they're the central through, they're going to get their time every season. Every season. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think, season three they're just teeing up the layers on jj for full reveal season three that was probably my favorite scene was Mm -hmm. jj and his dad when he was leaving whenever jj cries i cry it's so sad (laughs) like he's just so like raw and real when he cries yeah let's just play i'm gonna play a little moment of him and his dad on that boat when his dad leaves Hey, come here, come here. I know I could have been better. Yeah, well, I hadn't exactly been perfect either. Hey, perfect don't matter. You got a good heart. I don't know, come on. Can't live in like this. I'm going to Yucatan. Might never be coming back. It'll all work out. No, it's not. But maybe in the next life. Take care, Dad. Okay. I'm with you. I, for whatever reason, for me, I think JJ's like the toughest kid in the crew. And when I see like my weakness, First off, Anna from HR's weakness is seeing old people cry. If she sees old people cry, she shuts down. True story. For me, it's seeing like tough dudes cry. Like if I see a tough dude cry, like I saw Tom Brady cry once talking about his dad in an interview and it broke me emotionally. (laughs) If I see it, I saw Mike Tyson cry once talking about his old trainer. And uh, again, it wrecked me. Same thing with JJ. He's the tough dude. So watching him like fight back emotion with his fucked up dad, like just drives me hard. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm the same way. It is tough. I, th- my only nit here is I wish his dad wasn't such a complete piece of human garbage. <laughs> he sucks. He's horrible. like had a little bit more redeeming quality to make it just like there's some connection there, but I don't him being such a, just a, a bad guy makes you almost feel, um, feel more for JJ that he's just helping this like actual piece of shit out so much just cause he, he's his dad. Their goodbye though was so genuine. Like it, it made me so sad. Cause he, the dad, you like saw a little piece of him, like saying, I love you and all that stuff. So it makes me think that his dad just sucks because he's like, an alcoholic slash pill popper. Right. Whereas if he didn't have those, those issues, maybe he would be a decent dad. Well, that's right. the thing is at the end of the day, he's still your dad. So like as much as he is a piece of 
human garbage, like Pat said, he is still your dad. So like, even when you're like giving him money and putting him on a boat to sail away forever, you still feel that feeling of like, God damn, I may never see my fucking dad, the guy who brought me into this world like ever again. I guess what I didn't need right before that scene, maybe about three to five minutes before that scene, there's just like a little moment with the dad and Key in the car while JJ is going to do something where he's just being a dickhead to her for no reason. And uh, it's like, okay, this is weird, aggressive behavior for this old man to just be uh, getting in an argument for no reason with his teen. Yeah, he's he has no redeeming qualities. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, real quick, you mentioned uh, JJ. Whatever you said about him reminded me of the speech that he gives when they're in the swamp. Oh, yeah. Let me play that. Let me play that. All we got. And I know for a fact all I got is you guys. Okay? You're it. And I've come too close to losing you. All of you. I mean, shit, like you almost drowned. Pope, you were kidnapped. Sarah, you've been shot. John B, you're almost dinner for a freaking gator, bro. So this blaming each other is some kook-ass bullshit, all right? We don't do that, okay? We're pokes. Sorry, that was a lot right now. I didn't mean to. Yeah. Hey, well done. I gotta be honest, that was the best freaking speech you ever did. <laughs> also, you should think about like a uh, Rosetta Stone because uh, yeah, um, Spanish and French are flip flop. We should bon voyage out of here. So that speech, and then there's a speech that Pope gives later on, and John B gives a couple of them. The speeches by the kids to rally the crew in these dark moments are awesome in the show. And I love the reaction of all the other people with like, when like they're done with their big speech, they step down off their so their their like uh, soapbox, and then there's this quick moment of like, "Whoa, dude, <laughs> chill, chill out." <laughs> yeah, and so great. And they're like, yeah, "I guess, I guess we're doing the mission. All right, I guess, I guess we have to do the mission now." Those are always just so pitch perfect for me. No, so many thoughts running through my head right now. One, yes, those speeches are fantastic, and the comic relief that they give at the end is perfect because. I don't, it might be different. Like, you know, how, how it always shows in the movies is like you give a speech and everyone fucking galvanizes around. And I do like the idea of like how that would probably go in real life is if all your bros are giving a speech, you're just like, all right, man, that jacked me up. But now I kind of feel like weird, cool, cool speech. But like, this is weird. It's weird. I don't know. Maybe it's just cause like dudes are weird getting emotional and like, you know, whatever with each other. But um, so, yeah, I like that. And then two, my second thought is I want to go all the way back to what Whitney said. I agree. I think season two was Pope season. He got his shot, his proverbial shot. We can discuss if he actually nailed it or not, but he, he did get it. And I think season three, I'm praying to God is the JJ season where he gets his shot. Yeah. No, I think that's what they're teeing us up for. Number nine. Rafe ends up with the gold cross. His whole family decides, because uh, we, we, we saw Ward Cameron faked his death. His whole family gets on this barge. Ward's already got the, the half B in gold. 
sitting in the Bahamas somewhere. They put the gold cross on the barge. They're now going to take that as a family and just go buy an island or something because they're faking their death. They're fugitives on the run. They're wanted for murder, all this stuff. So the, the Cameron family is just like, we're just going to go buy an island and fuck off with our with our half B cross and our half B gold for a total of one B. My ninth question is the Pogues team up with Bahama gang member herself, Cleo, because they get on the barge themselves to get the cross back from the Camerons. And my question is, do we need to officially add Cleo into the Pogues? Cause I think she kicks ass. Uh, yeah, she's awesome. Um, that is a, uh, that's a nice entry into our season three questions because I'm hopeful that she just gets folded into the crew. She would blend right in. I honestly didn't realize it was her until she held that knife to someone's throat. You know, I, she has that super distinctive accent. Obviously we saw her for a couple episodes and know her face, but I just didn't register her working down my engine room until she did her signature move, holding the blade to someone's neck, ready to kill him. When she popped on screen, I was like, I think Anna from HR can attest to this. I was like, I think that's the Bahama gang girl in the boiler room running this barge. Yeah, I was like, I think it's her. And she's like, no, that's not her. I did not say that. Oh, am I I making that up with you? Oh, okay. I I made that story half up, but I did say it. I just don't remember what she said back. Either way, I clocked it, Classic. but I wasn't totally sure it was her. But then, like, I think after like 20 minute minutes went by and yeah, with the knife thing, I was like, oh, yeah, damn, this girl's versatile as hell. I yeah. think in the beginning, they don't show her face because of all that smoke. You just hear her voice. So they give they give you little like pieces to try to piece it together before you actually see her face. Yeah. What I love- had on had on too, right? Yeah. Yeah. What I loved about Cleo was. As, as everyone in this virtual podcast studio knows, I'm a ride or die kind of guy. And she's ride or die hard. Like, yeah, she met Sarah Cameron and John B in the Bahamas had one afternoon, like hanging out with Sarah Cameron and hearing like half of her life story. And she is just ride or die forever with Sarah Cameron. Yeah, she's in the crew. I think that's what they mean when they say pokes for life. Mm hmm. <laughs> Do you think in the next season she's going to have a love interest? Yes. Fucking Pope, Pope because JJ's going to be hooking up with Kiara. That's what I'm thinking. Pray to God. Okay, number 10, final one. After battles ensue between the Pogues and the Camerons on the barge, we net out that John B. saves Sarah from her fucked out family he gets her back in the pogue. She's now officially a pogue for life, but they get none of the bees. They don't get the half B to the cross. They don't get the half B for the gold. They get off the boat and they are just hanging out forever on this, on this deserted Island. This is where I want to transition into John B's silver lining speech that he gives to everyone when they get on that deserted Island. Guys, this is it. This is the Pogue life. We are in the Caribbean. It's our own little slice of paradise. With my best friends, with my family. I don't know. Wouldn't want to do it with anyone else. 
Love that speech to Pat's point earlier. My question is coming out of all this stuff though, is how quickly do all of these pokes die on that island after <laughs> getting to it? Yeah. I feel like the first night's like pretty fun. They had the bonfire going. They caught a couple of fish, it looks like. Um, second day, probably half of them get sick from the, the, the weird fish that they ate. Um, a little bit of malnutrition, diarrhea starts setting in. Turns into a bit of a survival situation. Not much potable water on the island. I think it turns dark pretty quick. Yeah, I think so. Um, Pope probably goes into the into the woods and eats a couple berries that he shouldn't be eating, like right. poison berry situation. And they don't have any PBR, which is tough. Yeah, they live on that shit. I put the over under on 13 and a half days, but that might be generous. Maybe I should put the over under at like a week, like six and a half days on survival. All I know is this. I've seen 40 seasons of Survivor and like on day one, minute one, everyone is immediately like we need clean water, fire to boil the, the shitty water to make it clean and shelter. And I didn't see the pokes like with any urgency <laughs> at all. Yeah, they're too concerned about those breakers, dude. I was kind of trying Some to think. Some slabs out there. I kept trying to think <laughs> back to high school me and wondering, like, would I ever be just that clueless to where that's kind of fun? Like, you're, you know, is that real? Because like, obviously the fact that it's not getting addressed seems absurd to us. But going back to high school, you, I mean, granted, everything that just happened on that barge would be a bit hard to believe, but could you see where they would be dumb enough to think that things might work out? It, it would be like, I think to your point, night one, everyone would just be drunk on like freedom. No parents. Yes. We made the bonfire. That's all we need. We're good. And then like yeah. day two, it would essentially just quickly devolve into a Lord of the Flies situation. <laughs> And everyone's eating each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Whitney, to your point, um, I think we were talking about this maybe in the context of a, like an apocalypse situation. Yeah. Like, would you be good in this scenario, like Desert Island? Yeah. And I think I said for the first two weeks, you would be absolutely horrible, <laughs> like the worst, not helpful, tough to be around, a lot yeah. of complaining about it. Yeah. If you made it through those two weeks, then you'd be good. Like, you'd be one of the best. Yeah. But those first two, it'd be it's probably about a ten percent chance that you get there though. Yeah, that's true. So, that's fair. That's fair. I feel so, fair. Whitney's got to avoid eating other human beings for like fourteen days, and if she can do that, <laughs> she's definitely correct. Gonna be the leader. Correct. The correct. But about hour six on day one, she'd start trying to eat people. <laughs> <laughs> We're plotting how to eat people. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Um, the only other thing we should just mention is the cliffhangers they leave us with as season two ends. Families are looking for their kids, obviously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All their kids have just completely disappeared. Yeah. Um, and I would, I mean, if I'm those kids, just going back to that real quick about the bonfires and the freedom, like the anxiety of not getting the gold mixed with your parents have no idea where you are would be pretty rough. I feel like that would dampen a little bit of the freedom. It'd be devastating. Um, like I said, <laughs> after after a few hours, it, it would sink in pretty quick for me, the fear. And um, yeah. yeah, it'd yeah. be frightening. Number two on cliffhangers, where do the Camerons go? I mean, they're now sitting on a full B. They got two half Bs, and now they got a full. 
do they buy an island? Like, are, do they all just like hunker down that crazy stepmom wheeze and then uh serial killer brother Rafe and fucked up dad? I, I, I guess that's what they do. And then three big one. This is the big one. The crazy whacked out old lady Limbry chick shows up to some remote place, walks through the house goes onto the back porch and who does she see sitting there just chilling, not dead. John B's dead dad. Yes. But he's alive. But he's alive. And that's where we leave it. Anything else that you guys want to cover from season two or should we do awards? Let's do awards. Awards. Kick it off, Ryan Philippi, Practice Hero Award. It's easy to sum it up. We just talk about practice. We sitting here, we in here talking about practice. We talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We talking about practice. We talking about practice, man. Practice. I mean, how silly is that? This is the award for the guy or gal who is doing way too much. Think of that guy in practice who's just trying to impress the coach like a fucking douchebag. It's not a game. He's picking you up full court. Don't know why. Number one nominee for me. I think I want to put Rafe on here. I didn't want to put him in an MCITW because I think he did a good job acting. But at the end of the day, he was doing a whole lot, like a whole lot. Yeah, for me, he runs away with this. Okay, cool. Love that. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Should I still give the other ones? <laughs> I mean, you, I, you, you can if you want, but it might not even be necessary. I mean, there's so many times. Like, if a character in one season of TV grabs his hair and starts shaking his head more than seven times, they should just get this award. Okay. Well, pointlessly, I am going to list out the others for just fire content. Number two. Okay. There's this guy named Kelsey. I'm not even sure if that's his name. He's on the screen for like 15 seconds. He plays a bigger role in season one. He's a kook friend. Oh, just, yeah. He just has this moment where he sees randomly John B and Sarah coming in to the outer banks. And he just, he goes up and he tells like a coked out, fucked up beyond belief, uh, Rafe at the country club. Like, Hey man, just thought you should know. I totally ran into uh, John B. What? Look at me. Look at me. Calm down, right? Nobody'll drink with me, man. I swear to, I, I swear to God, twenty minutes ago, I just saw John B and your sister, bro. They're alive. I'm trying to relax, and you're telling I'm, me I'm, this. I'm, I know you're trying to relax, bro, but I just saw them buying beer and geechees. Freaking bullshit. You want to go see for yourself? I'm telling you, I saw them. Go sober up, man. And I just I put him on here because I think I just I hate the I just thought you should know guy with a fiery passion. <laughs> yeah i hate that guy um yeah and to your point this kid is on screen maybe eight times and every single one of those times he's the biggest jerk in the world he's only got one gear he's got one gear which is i'm gonna i think you should know something guy i nothing in this for me but i just think you should know and it's yep. usually something nefarious fair enough fair enough number three dude the doctor the fucking doctor, this janked out oh, fucking yeah. doctor. <laughs> I Yeah, he's obnoxious. Okay, real quick. I just want to say 
he's on here not because like he's not qualified to like sew up bullet wounds. That's clear. He's working out of like a shack in in Nowheresville, Bahamas. I get it. I think he mainly goes on here for me, not with how like shoddy of a doctor he was. But dude, I don't know if you caught it on the HD on your TV screen, but this guy had some nose hairs coming off the tip of his fucking nose. Mm. We didn't see that. No, we need a better TV. Yeah, yeah you do because there was like. Or do you? Do you really want to see that? <laughs> he had like these old man, like four whiskers just coming off of the very tip, outside tip of his nose that the HD caught. And it was tough. It was a tough look. So those nose yeah, that, that guy was weird. He was a horrible doctor. And it was surprising because normally in shows and movies, when you have that character who's kind of sketchy and dirty and his place is like odd, he's off the beaten path. He's kind of strange. Like he's an awesome doctor and he saves the day. This was this weird nebulous kind of half thing where he is all those weird things. And he's also kind of a bad doctor but he still saves her. I don't know. It was just, it was odd and offbeat for me. Does he save her or does John B? Cause he like, he said that she was dead and John B was the only one like still having yeah, faith. That guy was just like, washed his hands of it. Like she's gone, John. Yeah. She's gone. John literally, B. Yeah. He literally had no idea. Like it. Yeah. That was, I mean, it was just weird. It was a weird scene. Okay. So he's three. And then I wanted to just throw JJ's dad on here because He's just the worst dad in the world. And and I'm always surprised on like how low he gets with his, like how he fathers his son. So those were the four bad, for me, but bad dad, bad dad. We, we don't even need to talk about that. You've already, you've already yeah. decided. Whitney to, does have written down topper. He's doing a lot. Oh, really? I had topper in another category, but yeah, uh, no, we'll I, he, he fits a couple. We'll yeah. save him. Save him. Uh, picking nits. Loosely touched on earlier. Netflix, are we showing nudity or are we fucking not showing nudity? What's the deal with Netflix? We discussed it on part one. I thought everything was up for grabs with the internet streaming services with what we can do. Would have loved to see that. We didn't show any nudity. Would have loved to see that. Another big one for me. There were 10 fucks. 10 fucks that I count. (laughs) There were 10 fucks that I counted. That were dubbed out in post-production to turn into a hell. So like someone would say like, where the fuck are you going? And their mouth would still mouth fuck. But then in post, they dub it out and they say hell. Like, where the hell are you going? Dang, that's a good catch. Yeah, I didn't notice any of that. What's up? Is, Is Netflix not like HBO? Can they not show it all? They can show whatever they want, but I guess they kind of um, police themselves. I think they they probably wanted this to be for like 13-year-olds and 33-year-olds. Or 72-year-olds. Or 72-year-olds. Yeah, I think they just didn't, didn't want to, they didn't want to make it too violent. They didn't want to make it, you know, too sexual, too many cuss words. I don't know. Probably just wanted to reach a broad audience. Family friendly. Well... For this podcaster points off, I'd love to see some titties and some fucks. That's it. That's it. That's me. That's me as a podcaster. Love to see it. Number two, picking nip. Ward's confession. Apparently, Ward's confession was good enough to just get his son off of murder. Let, let me list out the evidence. 
<laughs> there was a gun that the serial number was tied to Ward Cameron, Rafe's dad. So there was a connection for the murder weapon to Rafe. Rafe's fingerprints were found on the shell casings of the fucking bullets used to kill the sheriff. And then also there were two eyewitnesses that corroborated that Rafe was the killer. And then fourth, Ward Cameron is a fugitive on the fucking run. He's a fugitive. How credible is his word in a confession if he is a also a murderer himself and a fugitive on the run? Why did Ward's confession, why was that enough for the heat to be taken off Rafe? Uh, I thought the same thing. And then I just chalked it up to me not knowing enough about the legal system. Like, I don't know, once you have a confession, is it just like done and done? Or do you keep, you know, do you keep working it? I don't know. Evidence means nothing in this town is what I'm realizing. (laughs) Yeah, they hate evidence. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Uh, Number (laughs) Do you want to keep going with these chicken nits or just move on? Like, should I keep going or should I just wrap it up? Like, you tell me. Give me me your best one. Give me your best one. The best. The nittiest nit to pick. (laughs) Okay. um, I'll just end it. I'll end it with John B is a gator wrestler. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty unreal. Yeah, I forgot about that. John B did wrestle a gator. There's no way he comes out of that with just a little flesh wound. That that, that was pretty absurd. Like, if you're going to go, like, full-on gator wrestling in a show, you have to go – Happy Gilmore over the top with it, where he's throwing elbows onto this gator and just beating the shit out of it. If you have a close scrap with a gator and he's got you, I think he's got you. Well, and Sarah Cameron's just stabbing the water randomly, like, and she happens to hit him just just enough to save John B. and not stab John B. in the process as they're tussling. Like, eh, it was is a bit unrealistic. Right. And I'm not going to sit here and get mad about having a gator wrestling scene in that show. Like, that's not that's not where I'm at. But it was a little, was a little much. <laughs> the severe leg wound just wasn't tended to. No. <laughs> and like he would definitely lose a leg <laughs> yeah. if that was not tended to. And then it just like it's out of sight, out of, my, out of mind at that point. And uh, you just have to throw a rub a little swamp water on that leg, right? and it's good. <laughs> well, him and Sarah Cameron would both be dead because she's got a bullet wound that she's just been <laughs> running through, like getting thrown in the ocean, jumping it. You know, like it's so They yeah, they let fantasy take over at that point. Yeah, yeah, I I, uh, I thought that was just a little far fetched that he would survive that uh that gator, especially in water. I feel like in water that gator would have killed everyone there. Okay, MCITW. This is the big award. It's sponsored by Wickloware. W-I-C-K-L-O-W-Ware. Be free and explore. Get all your out there. Wickloware.com. Type in the promo code BL. Check out 10% off your order, kids. Slide into our DMs. Get all of our swag. Worst award for this show. It's for the character we hate the most. It's like I said, I'm not going to put the biggest villains on it. I would say Kiara's parents are number one on my list. Um, I think any any... For me, there's two things. Any parents that threaten to send their kids away to boarding school in teen dramas. I'm not down with that. I do not like that. 
And then number two, any parents that threaten to like send your kid to like a mental like treatment center kind of thing. I don't like that. So for me, Kiara's parents are one. I'll just go through these quick and then you guys can tell me who you want to win. Two is Topper. I had him on here just because I didn't really appreciate, you know, we spent a lot of time on one talking about wedge styles. And I, I thought John B pulled a gentleman's wedge. I thought Topper pulled a shady wedge. So Topper's mm-hmm. on there for me. Number three, this may be unpopular opinion. Uh, I want to get Whitney's take. I put Pope's redemption story on here because we kind of touched on this earlier. I thought Pope got his shot in season two. Big. Like Pope got a a, a season's worth of the main storyline with Denmark Tanny and stuff was about him. And I personally just didn't fully buy in. And there's a clip I want to play at the end where he's on that barge and he's got his arm up and, and he's like, you know, Pogues won or whatever. And, and he's like celebrating his quote unquote victory. Here it is. The time where people do shit to us and we just sit back and take it is over. That's my boy. Let's get this done, baby. And I don't know. I just never bought into the Pope hero storyline yeah what do you think yeah no i I, he did disappoint me a bit as well um they do i do think they gave him they teed him up nicely for this season like we're saying they're doing for jj next season and i don't know if he's just if it's the actor himself isn't that dynamic or if it's just the way the character's written um so it was intentional that like he he kind of like, cause even when he's poor guy, when he's getting the cross down, rescuing it from the uh, rafters, you know, then he's got to get stung by bees and swallow up and go into like anaphylactic shock. Like they just, they won't really let him be the hero. That's a you good know? point. They don't let him be cool. No. And like, and sweet and awesome. Like the other guys are getting out of jams, doing heroic stuff. And he's just, he's just not smooth. And, yeah. but I don't know, maybe that's just true to who the character's supposed to be. Or maybe that actor's just not capable of... Maybe like, that actor off. did get accidentally stung by a bunch of wasps no. in that scene. <laughs> well, I would be curious to know how close he is to the actual character. Like, is it like he's not playing too much of a stretch from his real personality? Or is yeah. he doing some phenomenal acting and he's a really cool, smooth guy? Who knows? Who knows? I But I... I so I didn't have... I, I didn't really put Pope on there. I just put Pope Redemption Story. That, yeah. I didn't like the Pope redemption. Okay. Fourth one, final one, all the cops. Uh, number one, the sheriff <laughs> is a fucking inept idiot. I, I don't know how he's qualified to run this police department. I think he's fucking dumb. Two, the angry cop chick who like is getting people to try and murder John B while he's yeah. in jail. That chick was insane. And then number three, there's another cop dude who like, beats the shit out of John B once he's in custody and in handcuffs. And so for me, all these cops in the outer banks just fall into this one fucking camp of just garbage police work. So those were my four Kiara's parents, topper Pope's redemption story and all the cops. Who do you guys want to give the worst character to? I think I'm going to vote cops. The cops are pretty awful in this Uh, topper still on the table. What'd you, Whitney, what was your topper point? What, what'd you want to get topper in the mix for? 
Oh, I put him out there for, um, he just needs to back, like, with the Sarah Cameron thing. Like, he needed to just let that one, like, play out the way it was going to. He needed to accept defeat, and he just wouldn't. That's why I thought he was there. But, I mean, he could also be in this this category as well. Uh, but I, I think in terms of, like, impact on other people's lives, negative impact on other people's lives, I'm going the cops on this one. Yeah, and we bring up the cops multiple times. And just yeah, how we much did. They suck. We so. did. I'm comfortable with that. I'm good with that. MCITW, be free and explore. Fuck you, cops. MVP. I'll say this. There's not going to be any surprises here. I'm giving it to John B. Okay. That, that, I mean, that's the classic choice. Yeah. It's the classic pick. I got to do it. I'd be remiss if I didn't. Yeah. He's John B. <laughs> I had him in there. I, I, John B is obviously always going to be in MVP consideration. I'm always going to have JJ in there as well. But I had two wild cards in for consideration. One was Sarah Cameron's body. I thought that was <laughs> right. we should not shy away from giving an MVP to her body. And then right. two, I really like the work that Cleo did. I'm be honest. Like she came out of nowhere and, and maybe not MVP, but if we were given like a rookie of the year award, I right. like six Cleo man off the that. bench type deal. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Do you want to establish a new award for her? Bahama gang member of the year award. Yeah, she gets that off the bench. Uh, the the one thing I will say, um, just because I wanted to, to bring this up because I thought it was interesting to bolster um, John B's candidacy. There's two things that happened to him in this that would both be awesome. A, he comes back from the dead. Like everybody thinks you're dead and you come back to life would be the greatest feeling ever. Like, would you, would you agree? The greatest feeling is if you actually don't die, but everyone else thinks you do because you can see how everyone handles it. And like, for me, I'd love to come back and like really become friends with the people that took it the hardest, you know? Yes. (laughs) Like, damn, you were my real friend. Right. You were like pretty broken up. Like you didn't like, you didn't go out for like a whole weekend. Right. Like one whole two or three day weekend you stayed in. Right. Um, So, yeah. And and then everybody loves you that much more because they lose you for a little bit and then you're back in it. So that and him uh, getting his name cleared and coming out of the jail and just being like the mayor of the town would have been awesome, too. Yeah. So like John B is just a fucking legend. And there's no there's no way to to get around that. He is. It's it's like that classic age old debate of like LeBron James could probably get MVPs every single season. But he doesn't. He never he, he's gotten like four out of his 18 years. And it's because people get excited about like the Giannis who comes in and has a great year. But at the end of the day, LeBron James is usually like the best guy, you know, who's just churning out greatness all the time. As much as I hate saying it, yeah, that's John that. B. like John B is the LeBron James. John B is just he's churning and he's always going to be the best player on the best team, you know? Yeah, he's. It's just, here's the thing. If like JJ comes in in season three and gets a shot and crushes, we might give him the season three MVP. Right, we might start talking about it. Yeah. But everyone knows this is a John B show, regardless of that. Oh, one more thing I yeah. want to point out. Uh, pissed that we weren't doing this in person because we would have had to shotgun beers. Whoa. This is a huge season for shotgunning beers. 
Did you yeah. notice how often they're talking about shotgun and beers? PBRs. Well, it made me wonder, like, are people bonging beers anymore at all? No, like, are the, the shotgun and are British, the kids? No, the kids no? are shotgun and British. Yeah. It would have been cool to do that in person if we all shotgun yeah. a few <laughs> Uh, especially a couple of pregnant ladies that would have definitely <laughs> blew this quick. podcast up. We went on viral. Yeah. Cool. No, I love that. Wish we wish it. Well, let's do it. We'll do it virtually. We'll shotgun some beers virtually, but, um, she, Anna from HR is drinking a non-alcoholic, uh, West coast IPA right now. So oh, hell yeah. You could shotgun one of those. Totally could. And reap none of the fun benefits. <laughs> yeah. We'll shotgun a little Ipa dude. All right. We good there. Any season? I think we hit all the. I had season three predictions, but I honestly, I think we hit it. Like we, we all think JJ and Kiara are probably going to hook up. Um, okay, let. I'll just leave you all with this. Do you think in season three, are we adding another half B on treasure? Oh God. Like, are, are, <laughs> why not? I hope not. Why not? One point five Bs. Like, they find a, a like a, a half a billion dollars worth of, I don't know, rubies. Maybe that's why John B's dad is back. Maybe he knows of another treasure that he's been yeah, trying he to search for. <laughs> All right. So officially we're saying they're not just content with this billion dollar treasure that they're, they're going to go vie for it's there's another half B in the mix that John B's dad's bringing to the table. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cool. All right. OBX two part two in the books. We did it. Baby Moon Podcast official. It's in. I think we wrap it up here. Let the kids go to sleep. Get a good night's sleep for the kids. Might as well. Pat, what do we officially tell those kids as they're tucking in? Clear eyes. Full hearts. Nice. Do less, kids. (laughs) Do way less. You can follow us on Instagram at Vicarious Living Podcast and listen to all of our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. You know you found us when you find a picture of Pat and I sitting on a couple rocks overlooking the vast landscape that is Laguna Beach. Steven's there, just not pictured. Steven and Elsie, both there, just not pictured.